0: Lesson 11 for June 3-9 to False Teachers Sabbath Afternoon, June 3 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to open Your Word again and see what pearls of wisdom there are there for us from the book of Peter. A man who knew Jesus and gives us information, but also, through Your Word, tells us who You are and what You want for us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory verse this week is Second Peter chapter two and verse nineteen. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. for people are slaves to whatever masters them. Let's read that again, Second Peter chapter two, and verse nineteen. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For people are slaves to whatever masters them. In his first epistle, Peter, with great pastoral concern, sought to encourage readers in regard to the perils of persecution. Though we don't know exactly what form of persecution he was specifically addressing, we do know that the Church would face terrible trials as the pagan Roman Empire sought to extinguish the growing movement of people called Christians. Satan launched a two-pronged attack. Certainly, persecution from the outside, that is, brute force and violence, was a powerful tool. But the church faced another threat, one perhaps even more dangerous than outside persecution. And that was the threat from inside. Just as the Jewish nation in the past had to deal with false prophets, the follower of Jesus, in Peter's day, had to deal with false teachers who would secretly introduce destructive heresies, as it says in 2 Peter 2, one, into the church itself. And even worse, Peter warned that many would follow these destructive ways. What were some of these teachings that Peter was warning about? How did Peter react to them? And what lessons can we take from his warning for ourselves for today, as we also face threats from within? June 4. False Prophets and Teachers It's sometimes easy to idealise the early church, to think of it as a time of great peace and harmony among the earliest believers in Jesus. That would be a mistake. Even from the days of Jesus, the church faced struggles, often from within – think of Judas – as the New Testament epistles show – Many of the problems came from false teachings in their midst. The early church struggled not just with persecution from the outside, but from problems within as well. In this letter, Peter deals with some of those internal challenges. What are they? Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 2, 1-3... But there were also false prophets among you, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle. And their destruction does not slumber. It hardly sounds like a time of great peace and internal harmony among the brothers and sisters, does it? Question: Read Second Peter two one to three and verses ten to twenty two. What is Peter warning about here? What are some of the false teachings that were being promoted in the churches? Second Peter chapter two verses one to three reads. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber." And then verses 10 to 22. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness for ever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption." For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb: "A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire, Second Peter chapter two, verse one, most likely reveals the reason the Lord inspired Peter to write the letter. He was warning them that, just as there had been false prophets in the past, there will be false teachers in the future. Peter outlines quite a litany of charges against these teachers, everything from destructive heresies in Second Peter 2.1 to leading the unwary into bondage in verse 19, and a host of other errors as well. From what he wrote, we can see that these were indeed very dangerous teachings, which explains why he reacted so strongly against them. Peter knew nothing of the idea that doctrine doesn't matter. And so to finish today, look at how strongly Peter reacts to these false teachings. What should this tell us about how important truth is? How can we protect ourselves against any and all attempts to bring false doctrine into the church? Monday, june 5 freedom in christ second peter chapter 2 verse 18 reads for they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error question what is peter warning about in this verse what does he say in the following verse second 2 peter 2:19 2, that helps explain his concern What is the importance of the word freedom, as it appears in the New International Version, or liberty in the New King James Version in verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. In the strongest possible language, Peter was giving his readers a warning against the dangers of false teachers. In 2 Peter 2:18 to 21 he warned that these false teachers, while promising liberty and freedom, would actually lead people into bondage. What a complete perversion of the gospel freedom in Christ should mean freedom from the slavery of sin. Actually, we read about that in Romans 6 verses 4 to 6. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Any concept of freedom in Christ that leaves a person in the bondage of sin is the kind of error that Peter is warning about. Though scholars have debated the precise heresy that he was dealing with here, it is clearly linked to the whole question of sin and one's being a slave to it. Question. Read John chapter 8, verses 34-36. to 36. How do Christ's words here help us to understand what Peter is saying? John eight thirty four to 36 Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Whatever these false teachers were presenting, they were leading their victims, people who had recently found the Lord Jesus, back to their old sinful ways of life. It's easy to imagine some kind of cheap grace gospel that downplayed the need for purity and holiness, something that caused them to be caught up again in the very corruption, as it says in verse 19, of the world they had just escaped from. No wonder Peter spoke so sharply and strongly against these teachings and warned about what the result of following them would be. So to finish the day. What do you understand freedom in Christ to be? What has Christ freed you from? Tuesday, June 6th a dog returns to its vomit question read Second Peter chapter two, verses seventeen to twenty two and matthew twelve forty three to forty five What are the dangers when a convert to Christianity returns to his or her former lifestyle Second Peter two seventeen to twenty two These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness for ever For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage.' For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Matthew twelve forty three to 45 reads, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell therein and the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Peter was particularly concerned about the fate of those whom the false teachers entice back into their former sins in Second Peter 2.18. The false teachers promise freedom, but as Peter points out, the freedom that they promise is radically different from the kind of freedom that Jesus promised those who followed him. Look at the powerful warning Peter gave. It would have been better never to have known the way of righteousness, he says in verse 21, than to have known it and then turned back to their old ways. Of course, this doesn't mean their case is hopeless. We all know stories of those who have turned away from the Lord and later have come back. And we know that the Lord is very glad when they do, and happy to take them back, as we see in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living." I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, "'Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, "'and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, "'and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, "'and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead, "'and is alive again.' He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing.' So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet... You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found." It means only that turning away is a very dangerous course to take, nor is it a pleasant one either. A dog returning to its own vomit is a crude and harsh way to describe it, but Peter makes his point with that image. Perhaps the echo of the words of Jesus in Second 2 Peter 2.20 is intentional, because Matthew 12.45 and Luke 11.26 Uh, both reiterate the same thing. Jesus tells the parable of a man who has been freed from an unclean spirit. The spirit wanders within a place of his own and then returns to him. My house from which I came. He arrives and finds it empty and put it in order. He then moves back in. But he brings with him several other spirits more wicked than himself. And Jesus says, The last state of that man is worse than the first in Matthew 12.45. The danger Jesus illustrates, and Peter describes, is real. The new believer needs to ensure that the things of the Spirit replace the things that used to dominate his or her life. If involvement in church and the sharing of the new faith do not replace the earlier secular activities, it is too easy to revert to one's old ways. And so, to finish the day. What are ways we as a church family can better nurture and disciple all our members, especially newer ones? Wednesday, June 7, Peter and Jude. Many people have observed that Jude 4-19 to largely repeats the message of 2 Peter 2, 1, right through to chapter 3, verse 7. Whenever Scripture repeats a message, we should be aware that God wants to convey something important. In these similar passages, Peter and Jude take great lengths to notify us of an important truth. God is in control of the destinies of the wicked. Both Peter and Jude leave us with no doubt that God is closely monitoring evil. Whether unrighteous humanity or the fallen angels, God has taken special note of their evil and has planned their punishment on the day of judgment, as recorded in Second Peter two nine, and 17 and Jude chapter... Well, there's only one chapter, verse 6. Question read Second Peter chapter two verse one right through to three verse seven and Jude four to nineteen. What examples of God's earlier vengeance do Peter and Jude give to punctuate the fact that God means business in dealing with sin? Second Peter two verse one. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah out of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then... The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness for ever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption." For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them." But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, to her wallowing in the mire. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Attitude 4-19 For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam, for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves." They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last times, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit." Peter and Jude record three examples of God's vengeance in the past. They include the destruction of the antediluvian world by the flood, the incineration of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the chaining of angelic beings for destruction. All of these episodes are laced with a lingering sense of finality. Though Scripture speaks a great deal about God's mercy and grace, God's justice also plays an important role in the final destruction of sin what were the sins that engendered such severe punishment? They include introducing destructive heresies, despising authority, enslavement to whatever has mastered them, perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality, denying Jesus Christ as the only sovereign and Lord, polluting their own bodies, speaking empty boastful words, and slandering. Interestingly, these descriptions do not include violent acts and other wicked atrocities that often outrage us. Instead, they describe more subtle sins that have one commonality. They are sins that are sometimes excused within the church community itself. This fact should awaken us to the great need for sincere repentance and reformation in the church. And so to finish today, read Second 2 Peter 2.12 and Jude 10. Second 2 Peter 2:12. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And Jude 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Here, Peter and Jude describe those who are facing destruction as having degraded into unreasoning, as it says in the NIV, or irrational, as it says in the NIV in Jude, ruled by instinct. How does that description compare to how God originally created humanity, and how can you prevent that from happening in your life? thursday june 8 more old testament lessons question read second peter chapter 2 verses 6 through to 16 what other examples does peter use to give his warning about what wickedness will lead to Second Peter 2, beginning at verse 6, "...and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whether angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness of those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baal, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. The first substantive reference to Sodom in the Bible is Genesis chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. Lot and Abraham decided to separate for financial reasons. Lot chose the Jordan Valley and pitched his tent towards Sodom, it said in verse 12. The Bible then comments in verse 13, Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Later, when God warned Abraham that he was planning to destroy Sodom, Abraham negotiated an agreement that God would not destroy it if ten righteous people were found there. The unlikelihood of finding even ten righteous people in Sodom was amply demonstrated by what happened to the messengers sent to visit Lot. The city was duly destroyed. Only Lot and his daughters escaped. Peter derives two lessons from this story. First, the two cities provide an example of the punishment coming to the ungodly in verse 6. Second, it shows that the Lord knows how to rescue the righteous from trial in verses 7 through to 9. Peter then notes some of the characteristics of those who were destroyed at Sodom and Gomorrah. They indulge their flesh in depraved lusts, despise authority, are bold and willful, and do not hesitate to slander the angels in verses 10 and 11. These characteristics have similarities to how Peter describes the false teachers and their followers. The story of Balaam is found in Numbers chapter 22. He had been hired by Balak, king of Moab, to curse the Israelites. At first reluctant, he was eventually persuaded to take on this task by the offer of a larger sum of money. On his way, he was confronted by an angel of the Lord and was saved from death only when his donkey turned aside. Balaam then beat his donkey and realized his mistake only when his eyes were opened and he saw the angel of the Lord himself. In the end, Balaam ended up blessing Israel. Peter used Balaam as an example of those enticed by adultery and greed. Such people are like Balaam they have left the path that they should follow. And so to finish today, think about all that we have been given, both in the Bible and in the writings of Ellen White. Thus, why can we as Seventh-day Adventists never say that we haven't been warned? Friday, June 9. So often we hear Christians talk about freedom in Christ, and of course this is a valid concept. To be free from the condemnation of the law and to have assurance of salvation because of what Christ has done for us, and not from our own works, is indeed to be free. The story of Martin Luther and the bondage from which he suffered before he understood grace is a great example of what this freedom can mean. However, as we saw in Peter, the wonderful truth can be twisted. As Ellen White writes in Christ Triumphant, page 324, the great truth of our entire dependence upon Christ for salvation lies close to the error of presumption. Freedom in Christ is by thousands mistaken for lawlessness, and because Christ came to release us from the condemnation of the law, many declare that the law itself is done away and that those who keep it are fallen from grace. And thus, as truth and error appear so near akin, minds that are not guided by the Holy Spirit will be led to accept the error, and in so doing, place themselves under the power of Satan's deceptions. In thus leading people to receive error for truth, Satan is working to secure the homage of the Protestant world. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, meditate on Second 2 Peter 2.19, and the other things Peter says about the results of the false teaching. Second 2 Peter 2.19, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Why must we be sure to learn for ourselves the crucial truths we believe? How important is it that we all agree exactly on what we should believe? When does it become dangerous to think ideas that are different from the rest of our fellow believers? And question two. Look at some of the strong language of Peter in regard to the whole question of punishment and judgment. Bring upon themselves swift destruction in verse one shall utterly perish in their own corruption, verse 12, to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, verse 9, and their destruction does not slumber, chapter 2, verse 3. What should these texts tell us about not only the reality of judgment, but about how strongly God condemns those who will lead his people into error? And question number three. What do you think it means when those who talk about freedom in Christ generally do so, not in the context of the law in general, though some do, but in the context of keeping the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment? How does this argument help us to see another way that the idea of freedom in Christ can be twisted? Inside Story Our story today is titled Mother of Many, Part 1. I'm a Bible worker and my heart is in evangelism. One day, God impressed me to work with an unusual group of people. On my way to work, I paused at the gate of the church office and glanced at the boys standing nearby. I knew that most of them were homeless, either by choice or by circumstances they couldn't control. Some had run away from abusive homes or from unending poverty. I wondered if they missed their mothers. I turned and walked nervously over to them. Hello, I greeted them with a smile. They looked at me strangely, wondering what I was going to do next. I knew that many of those boys were addicted to drugs and alcohol, and I was sure that they were all hungry. They needed a family, at least a mother, to look out for them and teach them right from wrong. God had impressed me to get to know these young boys and share his love with them. "'I'm your mother,' I said bravely. "'I'd like to get to know you.' But the boys were shy, and I was nervous. I knew that even though they were young, they far outnumbered me and could easily steal my bag or hurt me if they wanted to. But I kept smiling and talking. I talked to them for a few minutes until we all felt more at ease.' Then I invited them to come and sit under a tree with me so we could talk some more. The boys hesitated, but eventually they came and sat down. I told them a little about myself. Then I told them how God loves each one of them. They warmed up to me and began to tell me a little bit about themselves. I invited the boys to return the following week. The next Monday, I brought food with me. I knew that boys are always hungry, especially homeless boys who probably hadn't had a home-cooked meal for a very long time. Most of them survived on handouts they received from begging and leftovers from the bakeries. I made a fufu, a starchy paste made from potato, plantain or cassava, and some soup. When the boys arrived, they smelled the food and I could see the smiles on their faces. They ate hungrily and again we talked. Some boys even trusted me enough to tell me that foo-foo wasn't one of their favourite foods and asked if I could make something different. I tried to vary the food each week to please everyone's taste, at least sometimes. And the boys loved it. And I'd love to hear what the end of that story is, but we have to wait another week for that. Have a great Sabbath. This lesson has been read by Dr Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.